Acts 14, I'm sorry, try again, Acts 13, 44 to 52, for a sermon I've entitled, And Also the Gentile. Here's what it says. On the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, and they were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God, <clears throat> the Lord, and uh, as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continuing, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting at the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, and he got in a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the shore. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some of the seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on the rocky soil, and they did not have much uh, depth, so they sprang up, but because there was no depth of soil, they withered. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them. And others fell in the good soil, and they yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. After Jesus was done teaching the crowds, the disciples came up to him and asked him to explain the meaning of the parable. Jesus told them that the first seed that fell along the road represents those who hear the word of the kingdom, but they don't understand it. In their case, the devil snatches the seed away before it can take root. Seed that falls on the rocky soil speaks of the person who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy, Jesus said. But they don't have any root of genuine faith, and it doesn't last. Because when they realize it's going to cost them to follow Jesus, they give it up. The seeds that fell among the thorns, well, those are the people who hear the gospel message, but they're so busy with the things of this world and worried about the concerns of this life that it never produces fruit. And of course, a fruitless Christian is a faithless Christian is a false Christian. But the seed that falls on the good soil represents a person who hears the word of God, understands and brings forth fruit, a changed life. Those are the people who are genuinely saved. Now I would guess that Jesus told this parable to his disciples so they would not be surprised nor discouraged with the results of their witnessing. Most people you share the gospel message with are not going to believe, but some will. We don't know who they will or who will and who won't. Our job is just to keep sowing the seed. Well, sometimes, though, the results are unexpected, surprising, even baffling. That certainly was the case in the synagogue of Pisidian Antioch. For after preaching Jesus in the Sabbath day, uh, the people begged Paul to come back the next week to speak to him again. But when he did, the results were not what anyone expected. The Jews who had asked him to return now rejected the message, while the Gentiles gathered embraced it. Well, it is to these turn of unexpected events that, and the reason for them that we want to uh, bring our attention this morning. So why don't we pray and then get into the text. Father God, I need to pray for grace and mercy as we look at it. It's your word and we need to hear it. 
There's nothing more important than hearing your word. So we pray that you'd give us ears to do so, just like Jesus called to the people, that we might be transformed by the truth. So bless us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we can divide this section into four parts. The first, you can label a packed house. A packed house, and that's verse 44. Second, jealous Jews. That's 45 to 47. Third, rejoicing Gentiles. That's 48 and 49. And finally, persecution and joy. That's 50 to 52. When I wrote down those words, packed house for a heading, I thought about my own house when I was growing up in the Twin Cities. It was one of those three-bedroom ramblers that they put up by the hundreds of thousands in the 1960s. My parents added two bedrooms into the basement. So with nine children and two parents, there were 11 of us living in that little house. My uncle came and stayed with us for six months one time. And then one summer, uh, two of my female cousins and their friend came to stay with us. Well, Paul, uh, uh, here, you know, by the way, th that phrase packed household, that's also when they use when it comes to theaters, right? I mean, if they look out and all the seats are filled, they say we're playing to a packed house. Well, Paul was playing to, uh, preaching to a packed house that day in Antioch. Look what it says in verse 24 again. It says, the next day, or the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Now, where did these people come from? Well, I'll bet a lot of the people in the synagogue were wondering that day. I'm sure that Paul and Barnabas had spent that week witnessing to people, but we're not specifically told that. I also guess that it was very likely that those who had believed the message on that previous Sabbath invited their friends and their neighbors to come and hear Paul. You know, when a person first gets saved, they're excited about what's happening. They just want to tell everybody about it. It's good news, and it's for sharing. I think it was Dina who told me of someone that she knew, a woman who was married to a Jewish man, and her husband began attending the services at the church where his wife went. And praise God, he ended up saved. So he went back to his synagogue and started telling people, hey, did you know that Jesus is our Messiah? They didn't appreciate that. Well, Lao Fuq was a Chinese Christian who became so burdened for the souls of his countrymen who worked in the gold mines in South Africa that he sold himself as a coolie for a five-year term of service to reach the miners with the gospel. He died before he finished the five-year term, but in that short time, he led 200 miners to the Lord. Now, some churches try to pack him in by watering down the message, wrapping up the entertainment, and becoming a religious shopping mall where you can get everything but the truth. Now, people here were packed into the synagogue because they wanted to hear the word of the Lord. I had Thanksgiving service earlier this week. Like every year, we go around the circle and we give each person an opportunity to say what they're thankful for. A number mentioned that they were grateful that they're in a church where they can hear the word of God clearly and accurately taught. They're glad to get the word of God. But I have to tell you, I'm glad you want to hear the word of God. It's a good sign if you're coming here because you want the truth. Well, some come and hear the truth, not because they're planning on changing. They just like to listen to a good speaker. God told Ezekiel that was going on in his day. He said this, son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at their doors. They say to each other, come, let us hear the prophet. Tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You're a very, uh, very entertaining to them. Like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act upon it. But when all these terrible things happen to them, and they certainly will, then they'll know a prophet has been among them. 
Ezekiel 33, 30-33. George Whitfield was perhaps the greatest preacher the church has ever produced. Trained as an actor, he was a dramatic and powerful speaker, so much so that he could move almost anybody to tears. Whitfield could project his voice so well that he could preach to crowds of up to 20,000 people, and that was without amplification. Well, his friend, Benjamin Franklin, used to love to hear George speak. He was just fascinated by the science of his vocal powers and is impressed by his oratory skills. But while he himself was at times moved to tears, he was never moved to turn to Christ. It's not enough that you assemble to hear the word of God. You actually have to believe it when you hear it. And as we'll see, the seed of God's word was going to land on some good soil, but first it was going to land on some bad soil. And that brings us to our second point. Jealousy of the Jews, the jealous Jews. This is 45 to 47. It says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Now Israel is supposed to be a light unto the nation. So you would have thought when the people arrived and they saw the parking lot filled with donkey carts uh, and the seats in the synagogue occupied, they would be happy. But you know, some people get really irritated when someone sits in their seat, don't they? Were they uncomfortable with the fact that the Gentiles were in their synagogue? I had a black guy who worked for me. His name was Clint. He invited me and one of the other managers over to his house for a barbecue. Uh, we got there before almost anyone else arrived. And, uh, and then the other guests started to come in, his friends and his relatives. And I, I saw it again and again. they come and say, hey, Clint, how you doing, man? And then they'd look over the couch and see two white guys. Back up just a little bit. My son Jason had a roommate named Master who was a sports uh, writer for the Star and Tribune newspaper. Master was invited to a birthday party for Larry Fitzgerald, who was at the time a wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, though he uh, had a home in Minneapolis. So Master asked Jason if he wanted to go with. Jason thought, free food? I get to meet an NFL player? Sure. I asked Jason, I said, how many white people were there? And he said, well, let's see, including me, one. <laughs> well, a synagogue in, in Antioch already had more than one Gentile attending. When Paul spoke to the congregation the week before, he addressed the men of Israel and those who fear God. Those who fear God were the proselyte Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. So why were they so rattled? I mean, they had Gentiles in their synagogue before. Yeah. But the type of Gentiles they had were those who were already attaching themselves to Judaism, those who had cleaned up their life some. These were raw pagans who had never darkened the doorway of a synagogue before. A few years back, there was a program on television called Fresh Off the Boat. It was a comedy about a Chinese family from Taiwan who moves to Orlando to open a restaurant. Well, these Gentiles who arrived in the synagogue that day were fresh out of the temples of Zeus and Apollo and Venus. They were idol worshipers. Okay, but wouldn't the Jews still be thrilled that these people are coming to hear the truth? I mean, aren't we all sinners who need grace and forgiveness from God? I mean, if you see yourself as such, you're not going to look down at others with contempt, but evidently that was the problem. Paul, no doubt, had laid out the gospel again to them and reminded them what he had said the week before, that through Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, and through him, everyone who believes is freed, meaning justified, from all those things by which we cannot be justified through the law of Moses. Paul was telling the Jews gathered there with the Gentiles that it's by grace we've been saved through faith and that not of itself. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But that message is one that the self-righteous Jews at that synagogue could not and would not accept. Years ago, there was a TV commercial on for the investment company Smith Barney. And towards the end of it, this old crusty-looking guy says this, Smith Barney, they make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. 
Well, these Jews intended to achieve salvation the old-fashioned way. They'd earn it by keeping the Mosaic Law. But you know, Paul, speaking of his countrymen who approached their religion this way later on, said this in Romans 10, 1-4. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God is for them, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, listen carefully. If you don't get anything else, get this in the sermon. On Judgment Day, more than anything else, what you need is a righteousness to stand before God, a perfect righteousness. But the problem is, is the only person who has ever been perfectly righteous was Jesus. So the only place you can get that righteousness is from him, and it has to come as a gift as you trust him. But the problem with Jews at that time, as it is the problem with Jews today, and with many religious people at that time, and many religious people today, is that they believe that they can do it through their own effort. They trust in themselves rather than trusting in Christ. And so just as the prophets had predicted, for the Jews, the Messiah would become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense unwilling to give up their own self-righteousness, with their pride welling up, it says they were filled with jealousy and they began contradicting the things spoken of by Paul and they were blaspheming. Tempers rising, voices raising. They not only argued against what Paul was saying, but they blasphemed by insulting Jesus himself. You know, today most Jews never give any thought to Jesus. But there are some who actively and forcefully work against the conversion of Jews to Christianity. You've probably heard of the group Jews for Jesus. Well, there's another group called Jews for Judaism, one called Outreach Judaism. The express mission of those two organizations is to keep Jews from converting to Christianity and believing in Jesus. Well, evidently, the gospel had fallen on hard path here. Oh, well, no big deal, right? In our age of religious pluralism, we want to respect all points of view to each their own, right? Well, Paul lived in a pluralistic age, but he didn't think rejecting the gospel was a matter of indifference. Addressing the Jews who were trying to refute the message and were insulting his Lord, he said this, it's necessary for the word of God to be spoken to you first. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, returning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light unto the Gentiles that you might bring uh, salvation to the ends of the earth. Now the Greek word for repudiate literally means to thrust away. Think of a, a, a mom trying to feed food to the kid, the little kid, and he slaps away the spoon. That's the image here. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When the Jews in the synagogue tasted the gospel message, they gagged on it and spit it out. As it says in Hebrews 10, 29, they trampled underfoot the Son of God. And as the apostles had preached earlier, to the religious leaders in Jerusalem when they proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. They said there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. You've heard that phrase, one man's loss is another man's gain. Well, for the Jews that day it was a loss, but for the Gentiles, we see in the next section, it was a great gain. That brings us to our next section, Rejoicing Gentiles. This is 48 to 49. Hold it. We Gentiles had always heard that in order for us to be saved, we had to convert to Judaism, be circumcised, start eating a kosher diet, and strive with all our might to keep the commandments of Moses. Rabbi Paul, are you telling us that if we just turn from our sins and believe in Jesus' death and resurrection and accept eternal life as a free gift of God's grace, 
We can be saved? Yeah, it's that simple. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Peace, peace, Jesus Christ was born to save. Call on one and call to all to gain the everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. It says in verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. You know, bedridden Grandpa Joe, when Charlie showed him the golden foil, got out of bed, shouted yippee, and started to do a jig. As Martha Reeves sang in the 60s, Colin, all around the world, are you ready for a brand new beat? Summer's here and time is right for dancing in the street. They're dancing in Chicago, down in New Orleans, in New York City. All you need is music, sweet music. There'll be music everywhere. Well, this music of the gospel message was sweet to the ears of the Gentiles sitting in the synagogue that day. The gospel sand seed had landed on good soil and says that as many as been appointed to eternal life believe. Now, I want to pull the car over for a minute. I want us all to get out and look down in the canyon of God's amazing grace here. Look and notice what the verse doesn't say and what the verse does say. It does not say, and as many as believed were then appointed to eternal life. Rather, it says, as many as had been, past tense, appointed to eternal life, believed. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? The egg? Well, then, who laid it? The chicken? What did it hatch from? Which came first? These Gentiles believing, and as a result, God appointed them for eternal life? Or the fact that God had appointed them to eternal life with the result that on this day, they came to believe? You ever watch a football game? The ball's handed off to the running back. He goes around the end, and the announcer says, Oh, he juked the first tackler. What does that mean? means that rather than running through him, he sidestepped him, faded and fooled him. Well, in verse 48, to avoid getting tackled by the truth of God's word, a lot of Bible commentators try to put a juke move on this verse. They just can't bring themselves to state the obvious, which is that Gentiles believed that day because those that God had already chosen, he had appointed to eternal life. In other words, God has chosen from eternity past who he would show, that he would show grace to these Gentiles by giving them good soil hearts so that they believe the message and be saved. Jesus said, no one knows me, no one knows the Son except for the Father, and no one knows the Father except for the Son, and listen to this, and to whomever he wills to reveal him. Matthew eleven twenty seven. But here's the question. Why did Jesus reveal God to the Gentiles that day rather than the Jews? It's because he has the sovereign right to have mercy on whom he has mercy and to have compassion on whom he has compassion. Romans eleven fifteen. 15. See, listen carefully. All of us, by nature, on our, are on a spiritual death row for our rebellion and sin against God. But like the governor of a state, God has the right to grant a condemned sinner a pardon. And just as the granting of a pardon by the governor is solely at his discretion, so it is with God. He can pardon a man and free him, or he can let justice be done and have the man executed. Either way, God has done no injustice to anyone. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Now, not every Jew that day rejected the message. Remember, there were some Jews in the synagogue who were saved the week before. And not every Gentile who heard the message showed that they had good soil hearts by responding in faith. 
What we don't know is how many were saved and how many were not. But we know this, as many as had been, past tense, appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. See, those Gentiles who got saved in the synagogue that day in Antioch were just the first fruits of a great harvest of believers that came to faith over the next weeks and months. That brings us to our last point, though, the persecution and joy. You know, whenever the truth goes forward, the devil raises up opposition to it. We see that starting in verse 50 when it says this, But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. You ever heard that saying, no good deed goes unpunished? Well, Paul and Barnabas had done a very good deed. They preached the good news about Jesus to the people, Jews and Gentiles, who needed to hear it. But those who rejected the message were not satisfied with just simply turning up their nose and walking away. It wasn't enough for them that they didn't believe. They didn't want others to believe and be saved. They wanted to poison the well so that nobody would drink the water of life that Jesus was offering. New Speaker of the House, congressman from Louisiana, his name is Mike Johnson. Most people have never heard about this guy, and so little about him was known at the time that he was voted into the position. But my, how the articles are coming now. They're warning that he's a far-right Christian extremist with shocking views. Uh, Did you know that he refers to abortion as an American holocaust? He opposes gay marriage and sex change operations on children. He went so far as to say that the purpose of government was to restrain evil and that man is inherently evil and needs to be restrained. Shocking, shocking, shocking views. Where does he get such ideas? From the Bible. We cannot have a congressman talking about sin and God and the need for Americans to repent. And so a smear campaign has begun against them in earnest. Well, there was a smear campaign against Paul and Barnabas, instigated by those Jews who had rejected the gospel. They enlisted the city officials and prominent women, whipping up the enraging the uh, attitudes of the people, and so they drove them out of their district. It says in verse 51, though, but they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them, and they went to Iconium. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, he said, if they will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town or that house and shake the dust off your feet and tell them, truly, I say to you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you. Listen carefully. It's not a small thing for you to reject the gospel message. When you do, you judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. On the other hand, you glorify God and do honor to his word by deeming what's being told to you is true and so trusting Christ. It was a tragic and a sad day in Antioch for those who rejected the good news. But for those who accepted the message and believed, it says in 52, it says, and the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. No one could take their joy away. They'd been reconciled with God through faith in Christ. You see, Jesus had paid for their sins as well. And that's why they were called to faith. There's four truths that I think we can draw from this as we close up. Here's the first one. When we scatter the gospel seed by witnessing to others, giving out Bibles and tracts, inviting people to church and Bible study, we have no idea what kind of heart soil the message is going to land on. Our job is not to figure out who will and who won't ultimately believe, but to spread the message. You know, we teach those kids, sow a little gospel seed, plant it deep within their heart, cover it with prayer, and water it with L-O-V-E. That's what we need to do. But once we do that, we can't do any more. 
My wife's not here this morning. She wasn't here last week. She spent the last 11 days with her mom who's dying. She did that for a couple of reasons. One, because she didn't want her mom to die alone. And Suzanne was the only one who was willing to stay there overnight with her. And two, because she wanted to make sure she got the gospel at least one more time. Well, Jason, my son, went to talk to her. And uh, she was receptive to talking. I was kind of surprised by that. And at one point, after he explained that, Grandma, Jesus pays for the sins, so you don't have to. You just trust in him. And she said, it's that simple? He said, yeah, Grandma, it's that simple. When I saw her a few days later, I said, you know, Marlene, you're my mother-in-law, and I love you, and I want you to go to heaven. I laid out the gospel again. I said, you know, I heard you were talking to Jason about this. And she said, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it. I explained the gospel to her again, and I said, Marlene, you can't trust in your baptism. You can't trust in going to Mass. You can't trust in Mary. I said, you've got to trust in Jesus. And so Suzanne was witnessing to her and giving her the gospel, reading the Bible to her, read the story of the thief on the cross. The last thing she heard before she died this morning was the gospel. Suzanne texts me with a simple text that says she's gone. I text back and said, that's sad to hear, but we're just going to leave the results with God. And she texts back just one word, amen, which means let it be so. God alone can make the seed germinate, take root, and grow up and produce fruit. Like Paul said, one plants and other waters, but God gives the growth. Here's the second thing we take out of this, though. We don't know who the elect are. But we know that all the elect are eventually going to come to faith. Jesus said, <coughs> all, the, all the Father has given to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no ways cast out. John 6, 37. I am sure that you've got family members and coworkers and friends that seem so hardened against the truth that it seems impossible that they could ever get saved. But didn't the Apostle Paul seem like an impossible person to get saved? He was persecuting Christians and opposing Christianity. Here's a third truth, though. Don't be surprised when you face resistance and opposition. The problem is not the way you present the gospel. The problem is people don't want to hear the gospel. Just like the Jews in the synagogue on that day, their pride and their self-righteousness stand in their way. And here's the last thing. Keep proclaiming the good news. Because eventually, God will bring forth fruit from his word, yielding a crop, some 100, some 60, and some 30. His word never returns to him void without accomplishing all that he sent it out for. Get the gospel out and let God see to the results. But I don't want to end with that. I want to end with you. Some of you here have never trusted in Christ. You come, you hear, and you're like, oh, I hope we're out of here pretty quick. I hope it doesn't go too long. That was the last time my mother-in-law ever heard the gospel this morning at about 4 o'clock. This might be the last time you ever hear the gospel. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do? Let's pray. Our Father and God, if a person trusts Christ, it doesn't matter what they go through in this life, they've won everything. If a person doesn't trust Christ, it doesn't matter what they gain in this whole world, they've lost everything. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what would a man give in exchange for his soul? 
We know the only thing that can be given in exchange for a human soul is the life of your son being poured out on the cross. It was there that he took the punishment that we deserve. If we would just trust in him, we can have eternal life as a free gift. And he's conquered the grave, not only for himself, but for all of those who trust him. So we pray, Father and God, for those who are here who don't know you, that you work in their hearts. And for those who are going to listen over the internet and on the radio broadcast, that you would call your people in. For we know that all the elect will make it in the end. So bless us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to sing the song together. <laughs>